This is the Pet Podcast on Pets.ca, episode number 60, Separation Anxiety in Dogs, an interview with Tenderfoot Training. Hey there, pet lovers, how's it going? And welcome to the 60th Pet Podcast on Pets.ca. My name is Marco, and as always, we're coming to you from Montreal, Quebec, Canada. For today's show, we have an interview with uh, Doug Simpson of Tenderfoot Training, and uh, today we're going to talk about separation anxiety in dogs. And Doug goes into a lot of detail on the matter, and the podcast is actually 35 minutes long, so I'm going to cut this intro short, and we're going to get right into the interview now. And I'd like to welcome a really special guest today. Uh, He's been on our podcast before, along with his wife, Elizabeth. Today, we're going to talk to Doug Simpson of Tenderfoot Training from tenderfoottraining.com. And uh, today, we're going to talk about separation anxiety. So before we get into it, uh, thanks so much, Doug. Thanks, as always, for your time in doing this. It's always a pleasure to be speaking with you. Appreciate that. Let's just get right into it then. Separation anxiety in dogs. A lot of people have heard this term, but they may not even know exactly what it is. In a nutshell, could you describe what separation anxiety is? It comes in different forms from from different dogs and also with different levels. But just breaking that word apart, separation means when the human's gone, usually because there's an overbond. And anxiety is a dog being nervous that the person is gone and sometimes they get destructive or they do damage or they're just barking, constantly licking or drooling. There's many little signs they go when they're anxious. It's almost like if they're nervous of a car ride, they'll go through many of those similar signs too. We just mentioned that usually it's separation and thus anxiety from people, just out of curiosity. If two dogs are heavily bonded um, and one of them passes away or something bad happens, he needs to be rehomed for some reason, can dogs get separation anxiety from being separated from another dog? They most certainly can. And depending on that relationship and if it's a permanent removal or just someone takes them camping for a week, can go through different things too. They're all really the same problem, just coming in different forms. So having a dog overbond with another dog is not good, but it's the same fix whether it's another dog or a person. But like a wolf pack, if uh, some wolves, a wolf might lose a mate, and sometimes the whole pack won't eat for maybe six months. Wow. So it can really hit certain animals harder than others and they take it to different degrees. Okay. So one of the questions, you know, I have is, is what causes it is what causes it is it simply just the separation or is it the fact that they haven't learned how to deal with the separation perhaps? People again kind of cause and teach create a lot of good things and a lot of bad things. And <clears throat> separation anxiety and all dogs have a different inner core. Some are just more of a balanced dog. They're happy-go-lucky. They don't really care who's around, stranger or whatever. And some dogs are more insecure, more fearful naturally than other dogs, as if we had 10 kids, they're all going to have different personalities. First thing you kind of do is read the dog. But when people get a dog, one thing we do is that little, if it's a puppy, that little puppy is really insecure, first time out of its world, all kinds of things. And people get them, and they're just adorable, so we just spend like as much time with we with them as we possibly can. That insecure dog needs a security blanket, 
So we become that security blanket, and they create that connection. And we start off originally right off the bat with a little too much overbonding and also not enough separation then. Some people will say, I travel everywhere. He goes everywhere with me. We're always together. It's real social. And I go, well, how much is he alone? Because that has to happen too in order to teach. For sure, for sure. So now we're, we're definitely getting into the preventative part of it. Or proactive, right, just being a little proactive. Or being proactive about it. A lot of people are going are gonna to talk about their dog is barking incessantly when they're not around. I guess that's going to be one of the main signs of separation anxiety. Can we talk about a few more of the most common ones before we get into the proactive approach? One really bad degree is destructiveness where they're literally chewing the walls and ripping the carpet actually totally up sometimes, chewing on tables, just doing damage, going through windows, all kinds of stuff. So there's there's that really bad degree of doing destruction, which can also hurt themselves. There's also just picking on themselves with incessant licking. Sometimes there's drooling. They're just pacing a lot. They're barking constantly sometimes. So it's just all those different signs that they come from, but all that's just the the insecurity or the nervousness of being left alone. Yep. And so that's why when you first get a dog, even if you adopt an older dog, it's when you get a dog, everything should start right then. Because right then is they're learning every moment. So right then they're learning what routines are like. So if we just stay with them constantly, they're learning that, and then all of a sudden we start to leave and do our stuff, It's all of a sudden it's different. Right. So in a way, it's not good to be in a set routine to a degree. It's good to be a little bit, and we'll talk more about this, I'm sure, later in this conversation, but we'll do other things to make it irregular so they're getting used to all scenarios. Right. Just very quickly, um, you know, it occurs to me that this probably goes, and please correct me if, if you feel I'm mistaken, this probably goes hand in hand with boredom, right? I mean, the dog, and again, please correct me if you think I'm wrong, but like the dog might be doing destructive behaviors because it's anxious. Might it also be engaging in that destructive behavior or, or self-mutilation behavior simply because it's bored? Self-mutilation, usually not. Okay. But what you just said, totally accurate, is <clears throat> boredom is a big thing to a lot of things. And puppies are different than, you know, different than teenagers or older dogs because they have different, like a puppy has a very short attention span. So their energy is everywhere and their mind is everywhere. So if you have like two toys down or not good toys or whatever reason, their mind is going to go into other things for sure. So part of things is trying to do things control situations to a degree but that doesn't teach so with all problems our philosophy is to try to set it up and teach which we can talk about too and that way they're going to learn how to be alone and how to have manners and how to self-entertain and that's probably going to be part of the uh, proactive approach when they're young pups obviously exactly it's when we come home you know, to start right off with a dog that you just adopt or a puppy is when you come home, where if we're working all day or half day, whatever it is, we're always excited because we want them to be excited to see us and make it a really good thing. But people go way overboard. And so when we create the greeting to be a really big event, 
and or the leaving to be a big, oh, I'll be home soon, and to, then it is a big event when you leave. Sure. So greetings with any of them should come home, even to the point where you don't look at them, you don't try to talk to them, you just wait at least like a minute or five, depending on the energy of the dog, and think that in anything that you do with your dog, what works for us is calmness and manners. So if I'm going to treat the dog, let the dog out the door, out the car, greet people, it's done calmly and it's done with manners. There's, there's a time to have energy, a time to play. There's a time for all aspects of life. But typically what works is calm frame of mind and manners. So it's creating that attitude when you come home. So when you come home, if your dog's going ballistic, we've already talked about jumping and stuff, but still don't really talk to them. You might say get off of you and do that drill that we talked about. But the whole thing is, is a minute later they should be calm for 30 seconds or 10 seconds. And then calmly pet him and calmly greet him to let him know calmness worked for me to pet you. Okay. And just do it that way. And then we'll talk about the bread pit drill here coming up too. That'll be exciting for everybody. <laughs> that's, that's what you do to stop the behavior after we already have it. But coming home with a calm frame of mind is a great way to do it. And also a start to that is we also have talked about doing our out drill, which is just a boundary drill, like out of the kitchen. So if I can claim space, like in the kitchen, leader gets to claim all space, so I'm actually just taking a role. Right. And if I can take that space and say, I want you to go to your rug over there, name that space, now go to your rug, and I don't want you to leave that boundary. Or if I can say, go to your place or your spot, I can also say, get in your kennel. Right. And I can also, that drill is about creating space. So if I say get out of the kitchen, I might be way over there on the other side of the kitchen or someplace, and I might be way over across the house. So that drill is naturally starting to break or stretch that umbilical cord we created and start to create distance. And then you start to pop around the corner, and that creates the out of sight. Right. But you come right back, you pop out of the corner, you come right back. Things that happen, which all this is about... Things that happen in repetition over and over and over desensitize us. Mm -hmm. So if I pop around the corner and disappear for one second, pop around the corner and disappear for one second, and do that like five times, the dog's getting kind of desensitized to that rhythm. Right. And then if I stretch it to two seconds or three seconds and get in a little rhythm for three or four times and stretch it a little bit more, they're, I'm gradually increasing that time away, and they're also desensitized to that in rhythm aspect. Right. And you're going to start this when the, do when the dog comes home? Yep, right, when any dog comes home. All things, they learning, they're learning right off the bat. So it's kind of like if you sent kids to school and there's no teacher for a month, yep. they're going to be totally out of whack and just doing whatever they want to do, and every day gets worse. So when the teacher shows up, they're all going, oh, my gosh, the teacher's here. I, I don't want to do math. I'm used to playing. So if you bring your dog home and just let them do whatever they want and cater to every whim they have and just let them live in the recess world of free time, then they're going to take that role. So when you try to start to train them, you're actually having to recorrect, easy for me to say, you're going to have to recorrect all the bad habits that you let happen. Okay. So to me, it's when you get a dog, just bring them home and say, this is my house, and these are kind of the rules we live in in the house. And I really like manners. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess as people, you know, they often don't know how to establish those manners, which I guess leads to the problem, you know, leads to many problems, actually. Yeah. yeah. And, and a lot of people also with um, don't want to ever crate train their dog. And you shouldn't, we've talked about that too, you shouldn't leave them in a crate, you know, all night and all day. Right. But having them learn every aspect of life, and a crate can come in real handy. Example, separation anxiety. So when a dog has a problem with someone leaving, sometimes they need a bigger space to be comfortable. Sometimes the dog has too much space to kind of look around and worry about, so they're much happier if they're in a small bathroom or a kennel. Mm -hmm. And if that kennel is taught properly, that should be a very comfortable place for your dog to be. So if they're nervous about being in the house, I should always go, I can put them in the kennel. I know they're comfortable. Right. And you'll know that your dog likes it when the dog starts to go there by itself, I would imagine. Sure. See, that's, that's you know, their den place. So if it's, this shouldn't be done with punishment, but it should be a place to go for comfort. So anytime you get a dog and they're just starting to, a little puppy taking a nap, let's do that in the kennel. Just kind of make that the norm as opposed to the every now and then we might do it. Right. And we're talking about, you know, young pups, but, you know, unfortunately, people rehome dogs all the time. So people can easily get an adult dog, and I guess that adult dog can easily start developing separation anxiety as well. If during, you know, the the honeymoon phase, when you just get the adult dog, you know, everyone dotes on the adult dog. And then, like you say, uh, once it might not be a novelty anymore, so then all that doting stops. Can the separation anxiety happen in in, in this type of situation where we adopt adult dogs as well? First of all, understand that mental stimulation is more tiring than physical. Okay. So instead of having the dog just hang around, we need to mentally engage them, just like you would not have a child and just have them hang in the house day after day or take them shopping or get clothes but never teach or do anything. We end up hanging with them, but we're not really engaging And every time a human makes a decision, we become leaders. Serotonin gets released in the brain, which naturally calms the dog down immediately. And they get confidence through understanding. Therefore, if I take those elements and say, okay, if I engage this dog, most dogs that have a problem are kind of nervous, insecure dogs anyway. So they need confidence. So how do we give them confidence? Through understanding. How do we work on me being a confident leader has a confident pack. So I have to take that role and engage this dog. So the more you do that, it's easy to do things with them because they're calmer. And someone's going to say, well, what am I going to do? So the Brad Pitt drill. Okay. What's the Brad Pitt drill? So desensitizing, coming and going. Yeah. So, and this won't work for you because you already told me that there's not too many stars that make you lose your breath because you see so many of them. So you're desensitized because you, you've been in that world, though. So with this is the same type of thing. If, if I and somebody beside you were in my house in yeah. the living room chatting and Brad Pitt walked in the door, anybody famous, it doesn't have to be him, we would probably stop talking and go, I think that's Brad Pitt. Right. <laughs> but if he didn't look at us, didn't acknowledge us, talk to us, and he had 50 pieces of luggage that he had to carry back to the bedroom and go get another one, carry the bedroom. He did it over and over, never looked at us or talked to us. Yeah. 
the first 10 times, we would probably stop talking and go, I think that's him. <laughs> but after around a certain number of times, depending how starstruck people are, yep. we would not stop talking. We would just keep our conversation going because we're desensitized to his coming and going. Okay. So I like the analogy. So with a dog, it's a time-consuming thing if they really have a problem. But it's not just doing, so a lot of people go, well, I've got this problem, and all they want to do is the drill to fix the problem. Right. That doesn't work a lot of times. What works is to get the proper relationship, balance of love, trust, and respect. Trust me in what I do with you, where I put you, and respect me enough to do what I ask. So this is about creating that balance. So the basic drills that we do initially are the what changes the relationship the post, the out, and the dance. So if you do those drills, then you can kind of start into all the little specifics like separation anxiety because the out drill is about creating separation. So what I would do is if the dog's going to be in the house, then I'm going to use that room. If the dog needs to be in a kennel, first thing I'm going to do is teach him how to be in a kennel properly, yep. then I shouldn't have a problem in the first place. But say it's a car. Well, they need to be in the car when they leave and go in the store. So if it's an area that they're just not comfortable in because the person or other dog left, what we're going to do is set them up in the house, for example. And we are very habitual in what we do. And they are extremely aware of everything we do. And we're not. So they know exactly when you're going to get ready to go from your routine. So you need to go through that routine of leaving Never look at your dog, never talk to your dog, never acknowledge your dog. And you're going to just get your keys, whatever you do, you're going to walk out the front door, and you're only going to wait for 10 seconds like you forgot something inside. You're going to walk right back in the door, never looking at your dog or talking to him, and just go over to the counter, put around, then you're going to walk out, wait 20 seconds, walk right back in like your mindless day today, forgot something else, you're going to go back outside, wait a little longer, come back in. You're going to keep pushing that time. But about every fourth or fifth time that you go out, even if you're up to five minutes, you need to just come back in in 10 seconds to be disruptive and irregular. Okay. So you're gradually pushing the time very quickly. You just pop in in 10 seconds. You gradually push the time some more, pop back in in 10 seconds. And if you have a little hand mirror or a window you could hide behind, just hold the mirror, tape it to a wall or stick that you can kind of watch what's going on in there. If they start to whine or bark real bad, one option depends kind of on the animal and to what degree, but one option is to ignore it because yep. you're going to come back in in a minute. But if it's a real bad situation, I like to pop in that door real quickly, startling, maybe a little hand pop on the door or hand clap when I come in. And just say whatever you want to say, short and sharp, quiet, enough, whatever you want to say, and just disappear out the door. So they're going to go, whoa, what was that about? It's just <laughs> to startle to stop everything and then just let it be again, but then keep your same routine. So that takes like a session, you know, for maybe an hour here or a half hour here, and it takes some time to the point maybe I, what triggers that dog? Do they hear the garage door? And that triggers them to go nuts? Or do they hear my car? 
there's all kinds of triggers that might trigger that. So part of this is maybe having one person watching them with the mirror and the other person has to go through things to find out if there's a trigger. Right. And work on that trigger. If it's the garage door that freaks the dog out every time, or then you're... desensitize them. Exactly. So you're going to want... So it's exactly the same thing. You know, it's yep. whatever the trigger is, we need to desensitize that trigger. And it, I guess there's a bunch of common things, but I guess, you know, dogs like people are, are different sometimes. And it could be very unique things as well that freak them out. It could be grabbing your keys. That starts them drooling because they know what's going on early, you know, just like getting, maybe it's because of the car if they're going in the car. So there's all kinds of triggers and it's kind of actually... <laughs> Like I said, they're aware of everything we do. We are not aware of everything we do or what they do. And everything they do, since they're not verbal, has meaning. Yeah. So if you really understand them and you're consistent and do things that they understand, it is a constant conversation. Right. What causes problems is the confusion of them not understanding because people confuse them constantly because we're not aware of everything we do. So there's a lot of little things to get to deeper levels of that true relationship that you really get into. Wow, when you get into all those levels of understanding, your dog has confidence. And being a confident leader, they'll do whatever you ask them to do. They will want to do whatever you ask them to do. The relationship, there's a lot of love, and that's not usually the hard part. Right. But people go not really overboard. It's just that we don't balance it with, engaging them properly okay we just catered every whim they have and make coming oh i'm so glad to see you and make it a big deal yeah and it should just be done calmly and you know there's a time for excitement but wait till you've been home for a few minutes if you want and then play a little bit with them sure sure not that you can't do it it's just timing is important and we've said this twice already, but I'm sure the leaving, you know, especially if you're a new dog owner or, you know, you're excited about having this new dog for the first few weeks, the person is going to feel guilty leaving. So this guilt is going to probably make them spend excessive time with the dog and make them engage in the non-com behavior that they require in order not to have this problem. Anything that you get that you really want, especially if it's cute and adorable, but anything, a car or anything, you're going to spend as much time with that as you can. Yeah. You know, whatever it is. So being an animal, too, it's that way. But the deal is, is, you know, spend that time. But you can still just pop out of your door and in the house and out of your door and in the house. So when I get new animals here, my routine is like that anyway. <laughs> so it's very natural. But, you know, even if you have a gardening project or just come in every two minutes to get a sip of water and go back out and do some work, read a magazine, pop back in, go back out, do some gardening, just, you know, make it useful, but just keep coming through that door. Right. Because it's a constant in and out, in and out, and that's what you have to do to desensitize them. Not just that one time we come home or leave. And, you know, we're, we're talking about separation anxiety today, and, and it's a big enough topic for one day, but I suspect... It's, it's like this with a lot of dog problems where we have to desensitize them, do it slowly, consistently, and maybe irregularly so that they're desensitized. Right. There's, there's a part to doing things kind of a little bit rhythmically and then to change it to do it a little bit more irregularly so there's no anticipation. Yeah. But at first with a really nervous dog, that regularity helps. Right. To right. To get them over it. 
And it's like you said, it's with anything, human nature, a lot with the dog training world is to kind of avoid or control is what people do in general, not just with dogs, but that's what we do. And avoiding problems, going to the other side of the road or doing whatever, putting on devices to control them, that doesn't ever teach. So our philosophy is about teaching so you don't have to control. And the other thing is we avoid stuff and we use devices and avoiding doesn't teach either. you got to create whatever the problem. Sometimes your dog has a lot of problems. First thing you do, start with relationship. If you actually change your relationship, you don't have to work on any problem because your dog will, number one, do whatever you ask him to do. And number two, when they have a choice of any kind, first thing they do typically is look to the human naturally for direction. Right. If you're a decision maker, that's what they're going to do. Naturally. Yep. Makes total sense. Let's talk about some devices for, for a second, just because it's such that's a... That's a big conversation. Go ahead, though. Let's shorten it then. Okay. So, so like, whatever you want. Two common things that people do to solve, to try and solve this problem are like, leave the radio on and give them good toys, let's say. Okay. So I thought maybe we could just talk about those two solutions, and we we already have in a way. But okay. I guess I guess I wanted your more direct input on those two solutions. Let's say good toys and leaving the radio on. Okay, for a dog that has a thunder problem. Yeah. Um, there's jackets and there's pills and there's shots and all kinds of things you can give them, but then you're usually not home when the storm comes or it's not there by the time the shot wears off and all kinds of stuff. So the best thing to do for that is to have a more of a quiet place for them or pad your kennel or whatever. So it's more like that. So another thing I said people avoid or control. So what we kind of do is want to redirect them. So a lot of times it's like, well, don't say no, they can't go in the street, which actually would create, you can't go in there. It would create structure. They just say redirect them over here and have them do this. And that can be okay from time to time, but you're not just teaching them don't go in the road. So if I'm not there to redirect them, they're going to go in the road. So having a lot of treats around can be really good because it helps with boredom and it entertains them. So all that's good. You should always have stuff to entertain them and it should be something good. So that's all great to do that with any dog, but there's a time where some dogs are so bad they could care less if you leave stakes on the ground. So it really depends on how, to what degree the dog is. So if they're really bad, really nervous, food doesn't work on a lot of dogs. Some dogs, they'll just do anything for it. But then they end up working for the food. They're not working for the person. So this is about teaching, saying instead of you know having you just have toys, that might work for sure. And if it works, great. But if it doesn't work because they're just too nervous, and, you know, they might chew on it for an hour and then they're whatever. So you need like 10 toys to then go from one toy to another toy to another toy. That's why we're, we're always coming back to your basics, I guess. It's all about that. And that's why most people are so specific. Like they come up here and they'll say, you know, I've seen Red done everything and nothing works. I go, have you tried to change your relationship? <laughs> yeah. And they don't understand that question. Because that's what it all comes down to. And that's why those first three drills that we do, I tell everybody, today you'll change your relationship. And if you do these every day, you'll maintain the relationship. 
It takes moments. And the biggest thing we can give a dog is time, our time. So, And it's not just hanging in a room. Well, he's with me all day in the house. I work out of the house. It's engagement. That's what the confident leader that's becoming a leader, and by your dog understanding when I say go to the rug, they go, I understand that. They get confidence. Right. So it's it's saying stay on the rug while I walk out the front door and come in ten times and then sit back down. It's just doing whatever their problem is, saying, okay, we have this red flag or five red flags. We're going to do these a lot every day. And then we're going to maintain it by doing it here and there. Could we talk about expectations? Let's say you just adopted a dog. Let's say it's a puppy or an adult dog. Let's say it has separation anxiety. What's the, what's the time investment required? Let's, I mean, these are practical questions that, that people are, are going to want to know. So it sh- I, I guess it should be ongoing, let's say, but I know we're going to get asked, well, how long should this take kind of thing? Totally is not an answerable question because <laughs> it totally depends on the dog. Everyone is, has a different dogonality. Yeah. Some will respond in one time, one yep. session, and some might take a week, some might take a couple weeks. Okay. So time frame is very varied on dogs, depends on how to what tragedy or what they, you know, is causing the problem for sure. Yeah. But the reason they they change is up to the human. So a lot of people ask this question, well, how long will this take? And most everything for me takes moments. Whereas some people would take quite a while, if not ever, because I understand what I'm doing and timing is important and what you do, your confidence, your internal. You said, what about your expectations? That's what it's all about. It's not about words. It's about relationship and it's about your intent or your expectations. That's what they're feeling and picking up from the pictures in your head. If you're a scattered person, or a person that's wondering if they're going to do something, they probably won't. Because they feel your inner confidence, and that's what gives them the confidence. But someone that is dedicated, uh, you know, and they, they are following proper, in quotation mark steps, somewhere between a day and two weeks, in, in your experience, is that, a re- right. is that a realistic time frame? That's a realistic time frame if you spend time doing it. And that means, you know, it might take two little sessions a day or three. So it's not doing it once and then being done. Understand that some problems are deeply seated. Yep. And humans have had certain issues our whole lives too. And it's hard, you know, through therapy, through everything. And, we're, and some people still have those issues. So some things are deep seated, but in general, it's usually because the dog has just not ever been taught to be alone. So they're uncomfortable. And that's why setting up a dog when you first get them, every routine in that house is new to them. So start them off with just coming and going a lot, doing all the things. If they have the problem, just do the Brad Pitt a lot. Do out drills a lot of claiming space and being able to walk away to the opposite end of the house. So if I say stay on the rug, I might walk way the other side of my house and start to create the separation. I might walk really close to them, I might walk way over, and then I might walk close to them, and I might walk away again. So I'm desensitizing again to an approach and me leaving. <laughs> so it's that principle of not just separation anxiety, it's like, is there a trigger? Garage door, car. Is it just me leaving or another dog leaving? And then when we find that trigger, we need to desensitize them and make it a non-event. And it sounds so easy, 
And it likely is when you just invest a little bit of regular time. If you're running around in circles, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there, I'm assuming it's going to be harder. But if you make it part of a routine, you know, and it's probably not hard to make it part of a routine, then these things get solved rather quickly is, is what I'm hearing from you. If an average person does the right thing, spends time for three days, you can usually change most, most things. Very good to know. Know that initially... On anything, a dog will challenge to find out what's going to work. Does pulling work, does jumping, does yipping get someone to look at me? So they're going to do whatever works, whatever we allow they're going to do. So also know, though, that I've said before, a dog usually only challenges around three to five times in that moment, and they're done. If you do the right thing, have the right relationship, love, trust, and respect, they want to please you. They try five lousy behaviors that don't please you. They're realizing they're not getting rewarded for their lousy behavior. Well, they're going to do what works exactly right. So if if jumping doesn't work, but as soon as my butt hits the ground or I have four on the floor and you pet me and I'm calm and I get petted, I'm going to learn that calmness works and four on the floor works. And by the exact same token, if barking relentlessly gets your attention regularly, the dog is going to continue barking. And another little tidbit here is human nature is also to soothe and to comfort a lot of times. That's just what we do. So when a dog is nervous or barking at things or whatever, we like to coo at them and go, it's okay, it's okay. And all they're hearing really is your tone, which is like going, you're so great, you're so great. <laughs> I love you, I love you, you're the best. <laughs> so... When, when a dog is barking at something or nervous of a situation and the human coos at them, you're basically rewarding the state of mind that they're in. So you just rewarded that fear or that bark just from doing that. And eye contact is engagement and conversation. So if a dog simply whines and barks because they're bored or trying to get your attention and you do look at them, you just rewarded them yeah just from an eye contact and yeah i think you're right it's it's in us to to want to coo and want to soothe so we have to work hard to fight against that in order to to help solve the problem because because we're doing the opposite it's like i tell people to like some dogs start barking if they see like a guy on a bicycle or whatever and the person starts going it's okay it's okay and so i say part of that's just your tone so it's hard to really know what to say or how to say something so i say just pick out the bike or his clothing or anything and just say, oh, he's wearing a red hat. <laughs> oh, cool bike. Yeah. And just by saying something that way, it comes out like confident and you don't care. Right. But when you coo at him and go, it's okay, it's okay, you're making it a big deal too. Yeah. Because you're not a confident leader now either just from that tone. I know, There's. I think there's a problem over there. <laughs> So interesting, so intuitive. It makes, you know, every time we do, we do these podcasts, it makes such good sense what you say. It's so logical. You know, when you when you break down, you know, and, and you've, you've seen the patterns for decades and decades, that's why it's so clear to you. And when you break it down into logical chunks, it all becomes very logical. It's so funny because it's so easy and simple if you do the right thing and not rely on so many thing, other things, just rely on yourself and the relationship, which is what it should be about. Yeah. And it's so fast. There's a gal I'm kind of working with in town here, works at a volunteer at one of the Humane Societies, 
And so a lot of their troubled dogs she'll bring up here and, you know, she'll go, he's this, he's that, he pulls or whatever. And it's not like within a couple minutes at the most. And there's no pulling and everything's different just because she do the right thing. So a lot of it, people take weeks and months and years or they're still doing stuff. Well, he jumps on my back, I do this. When he jumps, but they're still jumping, so it's not working. Right. <laughs> Definitely not working. If it's so, after a few years. You know, all things can be broken down, and that's what's so cool is doing the first basic drills. Everything comes from those. So if you do those drills and your dog does them, all the other stuff comes from that in some form. They'll understand it. And that's what it's all about is understanding. So love the heck out of them. There's no limitation. Just balance it and just think of coming in and out of the door or the room a lot or in and out of the car. And that way they'll learn what to expect and, what, and what not to expect. Yeah. You get a dog or a salesman and you go to every house to put a flyer on their door or whatever, you're going to be in and out of that car a lot and your dog's going to get used to it. Pretty soon he's going to sleep the whole time. Desensitize it desensitizing. Awesome information as always, Doug. We've covered so much as we always do. I was wondering if maybe you wanted to add any any final words to, uh, to what we've been talking about. Nope. Just appreciate everybody tuning in and hope everybody has a good day. And we're always, uh, you know, anybody ever has questions, they can get to us on that if they want to. And always appreciate talking with you and letting hopefully some information out for people to digest. I appreciate that, Doug. Uh, as always, I like to mention that uh, Doug and Elizabeth have put out just a fantastic uh, DVD. That DVD is located at uh, tenderfoottraining.com. The link is going to go in the show notes. And that training CD uh, has bunches of drills that uh, Doug was talking about uh, during the podcast. I've seen these drills. They're super helpful. So I, I do indeed uh, recommend. And of course, if uh, you guys are located in Boulder, Colorado, right? Yeah. So if you if anyone is listening and they're in Boulder, Colorado, and they want one to one, you can always uh, give Doug and Elizabeth a call. And again, their uh, website is tenderfoottraining.com. So thanks so much for doing this, uh, Doug. I know uh, sometimes we get you, sometimes we get Elizabeth, uh, but you both give us great info. So uh, thanks to you on this one for sure. You're very welcome. I know people probably can't take too much of me at one time, so my wife is always a pleasant thing to bring in, and she's very knowledgeable anyway. But thank you too. Uh, you guys are both great. So uh, thanks again for doing this, Doug. And uh, we know we'll be speaking to you guys again in the near future. Great. Thanks so much. And so I'd like to thank Doug Simpson of Tenderfoot Training one last time for all that great information. Doug always shares the info so freely and graciously. And it's so logical that it's always a treat to have him on our podcast. If you want more info on Tenderfoot Training, or if you'd like to purchase their fabulous DVD, please go to tenderfoottraining.com. Link, of course, will go in the show notes. For our next podcast, I believe it's also going to be another interview with Tenderfoot Training, and I'm not going to reveal the topic right now, but it has something to do with bubbles. If you like these podcasts and you want to get them automatically, best way to do so is just uh, click any of the subscribe links on the front page of our blog, that's pets.ca forward slash blog, and then every time we put one of these suckers out and you open your iTunes or whatever you use to get podcasts, you will get them automatically. Thanks so much for listening, everyone, and as always, after you've given your pets that last hug of the day... Give him a little scratchy under the chin from Marco. Thanks so much for listening, everyone.